Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom. Visions, premonitions, and experiences in caves are, at this point, hallmarks of Star Wars and its characters' journeys. We take a look at some of the more prevalent ones and examine them. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I am your other host, Caitlin. And today we're talking, we're trying, trying to talk about the very complicated subject of visions and premonitions in Star Wars. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I don't know. I really like doing episodes that have themes around them. And I hope that it's something that we can do later in the future after we've like, since now we've moved past like the Last Jedi discussion mm-hmm. and we can talk about the Last Jedi in conjunction with the rest of the saga. And um, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to like pulling out certain themes and like through lines and trying to discuss them here on the show. Yeah, it's exciting too. We were just talking about this before we started recording that we're like out of Last Jedi now and it's like as fun it is as it has been to talk about the last jedi as much as we have i'm excited to kind of dive back into some prequel stuff and some original trilogy stuff and of course we're going to be talking about the sequel trilogy as well but i'm excited (laughs) like you said to to kind of be tying them all together as well and compare and contrast yeah totally and before we begin that like we have a lot of notes (laughs) a lot to get through um i just want to say thank you to everyone who filled out our survey um, if you don't know and you didn't listen to our last episode, that's okay. We are trying to understand. <laughs> that's okay if you didn't right. listen to it. If you could go back and listen to it, we'd really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm just saying we are trying to understand our listenership better so we can produce like more content that you guys want. And we've heard a lot from you guys and it's really great to hear these like raw comments. So um, I'm the 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 survey is going to be open all April. So mm-hmm. um It'll be in the show notes. You can, if you haven't filled it out, it takes like three to five minutes and it really helps us. So mm-hmm. thank you guys so much to everyone who has filled it out. Ditto to that. Yeah. So <laughs> please fill out the survey. It's been, it, it's been really helpful. We've been talking a lot about the results that we've seen so far. And as we're planning out the next couple of months of what we're going to have on the podcast, we really want to try as much as we can to talk about things you want to hear us talk about. So please fill it out. Give us your two cents. We would love to hear from you. Mm -hmm. Also, it's just been so great to hear from you guys about what you love about the show. And, you know, it's it's kind of been like an emotional thing for us to read at some points. And it's Mm -hmm. it's really it's really wonderful to hear from you guys. So thank you for those kind, extremely kind comments that kind of like keep us going. We really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. No, no, they they really do. They really do mean so much to us. So we, um, we've been talking a lot, actually, since the survey came out about um, getting to be a part of all of our listeners' fandom experience, even if it's just a small part. The, um, the fact that you want us to be a part of your Star Wars experience um, in any small way, it, it just means a lot to us. 
um, because Star Wars is important to us and we know it's important to you. So uh, yeah, like Charlotte said, it's been, I think we've just been like really overcome with emotion about the fact that (laughs) people listen to us and uh, that you let us give you our opinions on Star Wars. And now you're, we get to know a little bit more about you and what you like and like Charlotte said, it has been a, a bit of an emotional roller coaster, but a good one. There have been no no down downhill parts yeah. so far. It's just all been like uphill, great moments. So thank you guys so much. Um, we really do. We, re- we really do appreciate it. Yes. And just a note before we're recording this, just because I'm going on vacation at the end of the week. Um, so when you listen to this, I'll probably be gone. But I... <laughs> this is we're recording this like hours before the solo trailer drops so oh my gosh you'll hear our tra- trailer reaction before you hear this episode and i'm just like telling you just for posterity like oh, there's gonna be no solo talk whatever we learned in the past like five days it's not here <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. anyway I know. <laughs> Star Wars news moves so fast. So. <laughs> Talk about like visions in future. Like right now we're imagining people listening to this after they've seen the solo trailer, but we have not seen the solo trailer yet. But when this goes wow. up, it will be. I don't know. Foreshadowing but- <laughs> the backshadowing. <laughs> Foreshadowing the backshadowing. Yes. Okay. All right. So speaking of weird force stuff, this episode is all about caves and premonitions and visions. And this topic, uh, either I feel like depending on who you are, this topic either spends takes up a lot of real estate in your Star Wars mind or it takes up absolutely no real estate in your Star Wars mind. I feel like it's kind of one of those you either love it or you hate it. Yeah, for sure. And like I, I was just wondering, what's can you like kind of – pick out an identifiable reason why people do not like it? I think it goes back to kind of what your biggest interest is in Star Wars. You know, for us, we love the Force. That's kind Mm -hmm. of... I feel like that's where we, you know, we're we're Dave Filoni lovers, self-proclaimed. No one is surprised. (laughs) And he really likes to get into those deep parts of the Force, which we know is something that's never going to be completely explained. But I think for people who are really into, like, the dogfights of Star Wars, like, they really love those battles um, in, in space and also, like, lightsaber battles and blaster fights and things like that. I think if that's kind of your cup of tea in Star Wars, I feel like that is diametrically opposed to things like force visions. <laughs> you I know, agree. they're just on very different ends of the spectrum. So I think it depends really on on what your love of Star Wars is. And for some people I think it is those really um tactile, explainable moments in Star Wars. And force right. visions are not that <laughs> at mm-hmm. all. So what I think is I, I completely agree with you. I I think that it comes from like not like being frustrated that you'll never get a clear answer mm-hmm. and um i think it's something i, I definitely relate to and I, I completely get it but i just i pulled this quote from Irvin kirshner i've been reading through the star wars the annotated screenplays which is a super old book but i tracked it down on amazon and i highly recommend it guys if you are interested in it's basically the full screenplays with like information about the certain drafts that star wars went through but and I'm going to be referencing it probably throughout this conversation with quotes. But um, this quote from Irvin Kirshner kind of stuck out to me, and um, I think it's good to keep in mind. He says, "He says ambiguity is a necessary part of a good story. 
if you eliminate ambiguity, you're not touching you're you're not touching the unconscious of the audience. What you want is the audience doing their own film while they're watching, so everyone is having a slightly different experience. I think to me, like that kind of sums up what I love about Star Wars. Really, is how things can continuously be debated and talked about, and there's really no clear cut. Um, observation from a movie. And I mean, that's why we have this podcast. And um, I think it's something that we'll probably carry into our next, like the next hour of our discussion, probably about how, you know, ambiguity is a good thing. And even though we're going to be talking about visions, we might not come out of it being like, oh, I completely understand this vision now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember um, coming out of The Last Jedi and when we were doing that recording in my car, like literally right when we had walked out of The Last Jedi and we started talking about the mirror scene and you, I don't know what it was, but you were like all cylinders were firing and you were like, this is what it is. This is what I interpret it as. This is what's happening. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't get that scene at all. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't even know. <laughs> that, was, that was an understanding that I had, like, immediately after the film, and I still, I kind of get it now, what I was saying, but it's one of those things where, like, my brain was racing so hard that, like, I don't even know. But I feel like that is how a lot of these scenes in Star Wars are. It's like, you think you get it, you have this immediate takeaway, and then you kind of like think about it more and you get just even more confused. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like the more time you spend with it, the less it makes sense. Exactly. And with that, I kind of wanted to ask a question before we jump into each of our parts. Um, what is our like immediate takeaway and like our big overarching theme about like how we kind of approach visions and like what what they mean? Big question. Uh, that That is the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, I feel like for me, visions in Star Wars are always, particularly in the saga films, they're always this moment to see our characters' deepest fears. I feel like that's kind of always what ends up coming through from these visions. And also it's, visions kind of operate as this way to take a pause to to see what's going on on the the inner dialogue with characters like Anakin and Luke and Rey um, because Star Wars can be so fast paced that oftentimes without these visions I feel like you might miss these opportunities to kind of slow down and really see what's going on um, with them inside of them and it's a it's a moment for them to confront their fear and hopefully eventually overcome it or you know in Anakin's case you succumb to that fear that um, was kind of at the the heart of his vision of Padme and of his mother for example right and we'll get into that but I I agree I think that these visions are if Star Wars really is about becoming who you are going to be and like finding your place in the world, then these visions kind of are just another stepping stone about like what choice you need to make. And it's mm -hmm. interesting when you start breaking these down about like what these visions, like what is the choice that is presented for each of these characters. And like you say, it kind of reveals this almost like biggest fear type situation or um, you know, what's going on in their inner workings of their mind. And I'm really grateful for that because like you said, it's really important to have these moments where we slow down and we understand like these character motivations in, you know, what is the heart of them and what is most important to them in this galaxy. Um, so with that, I think we should kind of go into our specific parts before we get too deep. So in part one, we're talking about the prequels. 
And in part two, we're talking about the original trilogy. And in part three, we're talking about the sequel trilogy. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first. Okay, welcome to part one, where we're going to touch mainly on uh, visions from the prequel trilogy, but we'll also talk a little bit about some that we saw in the Clone Wars. And so I think the first vision, we're kind of going to, topically, we're going to go both by trilogy and then also by specific visions. So the first vision we're going to talk about is uh, really kind of the big one. It's Yoda and Anakin's conversation about Anakin's vision of Padme from Revenge of the Sith. And this is one of my favorite scenes of Revenge of the Sith visually. I just think it's absolutely stunning so i'll just say that kind of at the top of the discussion um Mm -hmm. now let's actually talk about the the meat and bones of yoda and anakin's conversation right i mean before we kind of jump into the yoda and and anakin's conversation it's like anakin's vision of shmi his mother like kind of before an attack the clones drew him to make a devastating choice so we have this precedence of understanding that like potentially you know, if we didn't have the the entire knowledge of like what the audience members have of like what Anakin becomes in Darth Vader, then we would wonder, is Anakin going to do the same thing again? And the devastating thing is, yes, we know that, that when he has the similar vision of Padme, which he, he tells Padme, it's just like the vision before uh, his mother died. We, we wonder like, oh, this is, this is it. He's being honest with her. So, potentially since she knows what happens maybe things can be different maybe he'll make a different choice and of course it does Mm -hmm. reveal his greatest fear which is losing the things he loves and it's this conversation with yoda is so interesting and every time i watch it i'm like oh my god yoda (laughs) (laughs) it's it's just kind of heartbreaking because in the scene before this when anakin is kind of you know has woken up from the dream and He's telling Padme and Padme's like, do you think Obi-Wan can help us? And he's like, no, we don't need to involve Obi-Wan. But Anakin feels scared enough to go talk to Yoda about the vision, not Obi-Wan. And Mm -hmm. here he hits a roadblock in talking to Yoda. And Yoda is like, forget about it. (laughs) (laughs) Like literally. Yeah. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. Like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> that is really helpful. Thanks, Yoda. Like, it's it's not... And I guess Yoda doesn't know what Anakin had gone through with the Tusken Raiders, which maybe he would have reacted in a different way had he known that. But it's still, like, very kind of, like, this moment where we understand that the Jedi Council, like, actually doesn't know what they're doing and doesn't really have an understanding of how to deal with a problem like this, right? How do you solve a problem like Anakin Skywalker? Ugh, right? That's the theme <laughs> of the prequels. <laughs> um, when you're kind of talking through, you know, both the vision that Anakin has of his mother and Attack of the Clones and now of Padme and Revenge of the Sith, it got me kind of thinking a little bit, you know, that vision in Attack of the Clones – Anakin didn't really do anything to bring that conclusion about, you know, of of Shmi dying. It wasn't something that Anakin did that caused Shmi to die. It was that he got yeah. there too late, um, but it wasn't a, a set of actions that that set that future in motion. Whereas with Padme, 
he does kind of end up bringing that vision to fruition um, inadvertently. Mm-hmm. And, and in trying to prevent it, he ends up causing it, which is very different than what happens with his mother. Um, but, you know, with his mother, he when she dies, he taps into that rage that kind of becomes a foundation of this is never happening again. Mm-hmm. You know, when he starts having that vision of Padme. And, and like you said, this we'll see this kind of come up too when we talk about Luke's vision in the cave in Empire Strikes Back. But there's this there's this tension between Anakin and Yoda. And I loved how you described it, that Anakin couldn't go to Obi-Wan, but he was scared enough to go to Yoda. But he's not scared enough to tell the truth about what's mm-hmm. going on. And because of that, you know, on the one hand, it's like, oh, my God, Yoda, like you're just throwing these Jedi platitudes around. But Yoda doesn't know the full story. And so how can we expect Yoda to give solid advice to Anakin if he doesn't know everything that's going on? Now, the other side of that is, do we think Yoda – I kind of – I would argue that Yoda would still give Anakin the same advice. <laughs> Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. Um, right. Anakin, of course, is like hell to the no. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, but it's interesting. Like I wonder how that conversation would have gone if Anakin and Yoda had been up front with each other. And I think it does just speak levels to the fact that the Jedi Order is really lost here. And uh, they wouldn't be able to tailor anything to Anakin's needs in that moment. It would still be the same thing from Yoda of, of course, like, of course you're upset about this. It's because you're attached to Padme. You got to, you know, cut her loose kind of thing. And and what, what, like, what would they have even done if they had found out about Padme in that moment? You know, would they have been like, you are forbidden from seeing her ever again. I honestly think that's exactly what would have happened. And I almost think that we got kind of a glimpse of like how, you know, the the hierarchy and like the structure of the Jedi works in that, you know, when Ahsoka leaves the temple and how all these things are kind of like mechanisms and how I don't think that he would have been forgiven in that moment for this like sin, which isn't even a sin. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he would have been thrown out. But I, I think that you bring up an interesting point about uh, what would have happened if he was like fully honest. But the thing is, is that he was kind of honest, right? He was like, um, Yoda goes, what does he say? He says, yourself you speak of or someone you know. And he goes, yes. And um, oh, what doesn't he say something about like, I, I can't remember now, which is like crazy because I've seen this movie like 500 times. <laughs> this always happens to me when we're podcasting. But like the I think he says something about um, the fact that, there, that this was a really strong relationship or something with like love or something. And I, I just I wonder what would have happened if Anakin had gone to Obi-Wan. But the thing is, is that if if these visions are supposed to kind of show us and present us these paths that our characters can take to become a better person or a worse person, Anakin kind of doesn't go on any of the avenues that would help him be a better person or like figure out mm-hmm. a way out of this. And Yoda yeah. says later yeah. in the trilogy that, in the trilogy, in the saga, that, you know, always in motion is the future. And in this, I wonder what would have happened if Yoda had said that to Anakin, because instead of like, this is, this is what's going to happen and you got to accept it rather than, cause that's what basically he said. Right. Mm-hmm. And if, if Yoda had been like, always in motion is the future. Like you just have to, you know, let go, let God, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and like 
figure it out and like still be, <laughs> yeah seriously but like and and just kind of let things take its course and just be a good person and make these you know good choices that don't have to do with power or anything right and yeah. you wonder what would have happened if the conversation was skewed a little bit Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he kind of he he definitely changes his conversation when he talks to Luke in Empire Strikes Back, but it is kind of some of the same too. Like, that's the future. What are you gonna <laughs> do? You know, <laughs> like Yoda or Anakin and Luke are like, "What do you mean? What are we gonna do?" Like, <laughs> that's what it went. And and it really is an instance of like in that moment, and and that's part of the not the downfall, but you know, the, as we say here, the tragedy of the prequels. And what we touched on a couple episodes too, you know, something Dave Filoni has always said about Anakin. It's like he can't become in the Clone Wars. He can't become too enlightened, or else he's not going to eventually fall to the dark side. And in this moment, it's like. That's kind of always what you're asking in the prequels is this like, what if? What if Anakin had gone to Obi-Wan? Obi-Wan probably should have been the person Anakin should have gone to, you know? Right. They're, they're always kind of playing with that idea of does Obi-Wan know? How much does he know? Does Ahsoka know? Like, you know, they're always kind of talking <laughs> about that. And you get the sense that he knows something's up and he's keeping it on the DL. And Anakin or Obi-Wan is someone who knows Anakin so deeply that I feel like he would have been the best person to walk Anakin through, you know, okay, let's take a deep breath, count to 10, tell me what you saw, let's work through it. You know, whereas because mm-hmm. Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan has his own attachment to Anakin, whereas Yoda, Yoda does, but he's, Yoda's, you know, Yoda's got a lot going on with the dark side clouding everything. <laughs> and he's, I don't know, he, I feel like, Anakin should have gone to Obi-Wan, but that's the thing. He can't go to Obi-Wan because he has to follow the dark side. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ugh, tragedy. <laughs> so let's take this conversation and like put it in our back pocket. And okay. we're going we're gonna to talk about the next vision that we want to talk about in the prequels, which for, is... Put it in your pocket. Save it for a rainy day. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we want to talk about Anakin's vision on Mortis. So this one... I remember watching it when it was live in your kitchen on like that really tiny TV. Yeah. And and like being like, oh my God, I cannot believe they just went there. Mm-hmm. So if you guys haven't seen it, a brief summary is basically Anakin sees like his entire future. He sees Padme choking. He sees Obi-Wan say, you're my brother, Anakin. And finally, at the end, he is forced to see, you know, the the Vader mask kind of evaporate around him. And this happens because Sun on Mortis kind of forces this vision on him. Mm-hmm. So how do we think about this particular vision? Oh, it crazy. It's so everything, <laughs> everything on Mortis is just on a whole other level. And this totally plays with that what if question again, what if Anakin mm-hmm. had gotten to keep this vision? Would because yep, he does it, he forgets it. Yeah, he forgets it. Sorry, spoiler. And uh, but but I kind of think we see the answer to that because after he sees it, he kind of he basically falls to the dark side on Mortis. He's like, he tells Obi Wan, he's like, you don't know what I'll become, and he like definitely taps into that dark side and he acts a little bit, you know, like Anakin at the end of Revenge of the Sith. And so maybe it, maybe things wouldn't have gone differently. It just would have happened sooner. And, and that's that's so interesting because you know Star Wars always plays with this idea of destiny, right? And if mm-hmm. Anakin's whole destiny was to balance the Force, since he was the chosen one, 
was he really always destined to become Vader? Was he, it's, it's like, are all these points supposed to happen <laughs> just just at different time points if you just like skew something and yeah. that's what's fascinating because Anakin is such a is a character that okay if these visions kind of show us their like true fears and how they're going to overcome them Anakin is a character who is going to make bad decisions but when the time is right he will make the right choice which is at the very end when he has to save his son mm-hmm. and it's like how what are all the steps that he has to make to get him to that point. And obviously when we watch the prequels, like it's very devastating because we grow attached to this character and we want to see him succeed, but ultimately we know he can't. Mm -hmm. And his fears are broadcast in all these different ways, all these different visions through him, through conversations and everything. And we know that he's not going to make the right choice, but he does make smaller choices that are good in between all that. Right. And it's, it's just, it's so interesting when you think about this vision in the context of, all the other visions because you like you just said like if he had seen it if he had remembered it would it still have happened what would he have done would his fear of becoming that just kind of taken over him completely you know Mm -hmm. elevated it yeah yeah i mean it kind of again it's like going into all of these stories knowing the outcome and not even the fact that we've seen these films before but even a new viewer for the most part is like like there's no surprise in it because you know how the story ends, um, which is mm-hmm. such an interesting way to watch these films. And and I think Star Wars is so unique in that sense. But I think it really kind of touches on this idea that we're seeing played out a bit in the sequel trilogy of cosmic force and living force of this like pre-Destiny. Like d- did the cosmic force – I mean we saw in the Last Jedi novelization that it talks about um, the Skywalkers as a favored tool – I mean, is mm-hmm. there some kind of theory out there that has any legs to it that, you know, the cosmic force in a way willed Anakin to turn to the dark side for the events that would come to pass, you know, in the original trilogy and to, you know, in a way, um, like level the playing field of the Jedi and the Sith? Because as Luke says in The Last Jedi, you know, to think that the Jedi on the light side is hubris. And maybe the cosmic force in the prequel trilogy is like, Jedi you're like you're wrong right now like Mm -hmm. you've become too much and he sends this catalyst in in the form of anakin skywalker to be the catalyst that changes things and ultimately in a way like destroys the jedi for their own good i don't even know if that makes sense (laughs) no i mean it totally does that anakin is like the vehicle to prove that like the jedi doesn't belong to anyone i mean the force doesn't belong to anyone Mm -hmm. and it's like it instead I, I don't know. It, it made sense to, again, this is another example of like things make sense. And then you try to like think about them a little too much and you're like, wait. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I had this whole other thought about that and I've already lost it trying to like understand what I just said. <laughs> well, it's just, I don't know. I think that there is merit to talking about Anakin as like he was destined to become Darth Vader. It is his destiny. Mm-hmm. And it's that that step had to happen. Yeah. And in the same way, I mean, I want to, I'm going to bring it up. Oops. Um, in the same way that I think that like <laughs> Luke had to have that experience with standing over his nephew to understand like his place in the galaxy at the, at the very end. And then also Ben had to have that experience in order to kind of understand. We don't know what his place in the galaxy is really, but to kind of understand his place in the galaxy as like potentially, you know, 
this this like further balancer of the force with Ray, and it's just it brings up all these different questions of um, mm-hmm. of destiny. What was destined destined yeah, yeah to happen? I mean, you think about kind of with the vision on Mortis. If you know, if Anakin had kept the vision, would he just have become Vader sooner? You know, that's I feel like that's the question we're kind of asking because it's like everything is. Because Anakin is not emotionally and mentally stable enough, that's kind of what facilitates his fall to the dark side. But the reason he is the way he is, it's like you you have to go back so far to change the events of the Phantom Menace in order for Anakin to have become a different person. So it's kind of like at any point in his Jedi life, if he had had a vision or fallen to like the, the same events would have happened because he still would have had the same upbringing. It's like you would have had to go all the way back to the very start and change what happened on Tatooine with Shmi and Qui-Gon Jinn in order to alter the course of the eventual Skywalker saga. Mm -hmm. This gets into like AU fanfic territory. (laughs) (laughs) So trippy. (laughs) So let's talk about Ahsoka's vision, which is similarly on Mortis as well. And... Mm -hmm. For those, again, who haven't seen Mortis, it is Ahsoka's asleep and she's by a fire and she wakes up and sees um, An older. She sees her older self. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her potential. And so, yeah. So she the, the older Ahsoka asks the younger Ahsoka, are you happy, child? Your master, does he treat you well? Be warned, you may never see your future if you remain his student. Leave this planet. Uh, this whole this vision like i think really kind of rocked us oh yeah <laughs> when we watched it and it's it was fascinating because we also didn't understand or know where ahsoka's fate was going to lie and it's great to go back upon this because we know this vision is true that if she had stayed anakin's you know, apprentice, then she wouldn't have survived or something bad would have happened to her. And she had Mm -hmm. to go through these like terrible trials basically to kind of survive, (laughs) essentially. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you kind of do have to wonder if, again, you know, what if, would Ahsoka have been someone able to talk Anakin down out of those moments that were happening in Revenge of the Sith? Uh, because he doesn't have that same kind of jealousy and, um, I guess, suspicion about Ahsoka the way he does Obi-Wan, you know? And, or Padme. Yeah, or Padme. And and, Anna, and Ahsoka has always been, I don't know, someone he can count on, someone he can trust. Um, we've never really seen that waver in the Clone Wars. Whereas with Obi-Wan, they definitely do have their moments. Um, so... Mm-hmm you got to wonder how those conversations would have gone with Ahsoka. And again, that's part of it. It's like Ahsoka, maybe that's, you know, Ahsoka can't be a part of that conversation because she could have known what to say to Anakin. And she can't say those things because Anakin has to fall to the dark side. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I go back and forth between that question. But the thing is, is that if, if these visions kind of present a choice to our characters and kind of help like further develop our characters like (laughs) um i don't know journeys into becoming who they are and kind of reveal to us their greatest fears and what's troubling them within them and i think it was such a shock to us to hear older ahsoka say to younger ahsoka are you happy because from the outside it's like yeah she should be happy because she's you know the best jedi is ever's apprentice and everything Mm -hmm. and here we get this older version being like 
actually, are you even happy? What's going on with you? And I feel like you, what the vision is saying is like, someday you're going to have to make a choice where you have to decide, are you happy? Mm -hmm. And obviously we see that manifest in the season finale when Ahsoka leaves. Um, But it's, it was just really fascinating now returning to that after seeing those episodes and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially knowing how she finds out about what happens to Anakin as well. Um, And we touched on this earlier about, you know, visions showing us your deepest fear. And for Ahsoka, her deepest fear is to not be Anakin's student. Um, I think that just speaks levels to their relationship, too. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, like she could never imagine a future where Anakin would do the things that he ends up doing. And that would just... To, if she had, if she had found, like, if Revenge of the Sith, like, if she had found out what had happened, you know, during the time period of Revenge of the Sith, I think it would have just absolutely crushed her. I don't know what she would have done. It was like she could only kind of take that in and respond to it when she was older. Right. Completely. And that's really interesting. And I mean, it, now it's fantastic because we get to see all these different versions and different ages of Ahsoka throughout the years, especially since now she has you know survived the uh survived rebels so um it's, it's really interesting it's like watching re watching this vision and just knowing that she makes it all the way through like current timeline <laughs> it's just it's just <laughs> insane i know <laughs> it's so crazy so insane. <laughs> it's really cool yeah. though and it's like okay so if we see Ahsoka here and she's you know concerned about her place in the world what does that say about her as a hero to us I think I mean Ahsoka has always taken the best elements of Anakin Um, Mm -hmm. she is everything that Anakin should have been Anakin should have left the Jedi Order he should have followed in a weird way he should have learned from Ahsoka and taken that path instead of the you know the path he ultimately takes um, so I think it just speaks to, like, her ability to adapt and to change as well. Because I, we, as Star Wars fans, we often fall into this trap of, you know, you're on the dark side, you're on the light side. And the sequel trilogy, I think, is really trying to teach us what the middle looks like. And that dark and light don't belong to the Jedi or the Sith. And you're not defined by just your dark or your light properties, I guess. And Mm -hmm. Ahsoka, I feel like, does that. She's kind of the perfect embodiment of that. She goes from Jedi, realizes that there's something amiss, and it doesn't crush her. She just changes direction. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And now I'm just, like, imagining, I really want, like, an AU fanfic of Anakin when Ahsoka leaves. Like, Anakin's like, you know what? I won't stand for this. I'm coming with you. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. See, the thing is, is that that's why I live for, like, alternate universe, like, fan fictions or, like, ideas, because it really does answer or explore that what-if question that the prequels are, like, constantly trying to ask. And Mm -hmm. um, that's what's so fun. I mean, we've mentioned this before now already, but it's so fun to explore these visions. And every time we get them in Star Wars, I'm like, oh, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> How is this going to, like, affect the future of these characters? Like, it's just, it's so fun. <laughs> it's uh, revisiting Ahsoka leaves in that moment. It always makes me sad about Ahsoka's lost mission, like, Ahsoka's lost missions, basically, of when Anakin and Obi-Wan show up with the 501st while, while she battles Maul. Do you remember that whole mm-hmm. story arc? 
yeah. that they talked about Ugh. on that panel. I just and how that's so the last good. time Ahsoka sees Anakin. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I can't. If you guys haven't watched, I think it was Celebration Europe. Yeah, right? it was. Uh, yeah, I think it was 2016. Yeah, so Celebration Europe. It's online. There's like this awesome panel by Pablo and I think Dave, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Ashley Eckstein was there. Yeah. Um, about like all these different character designs for Ahsoka and um where they were going to take that character within the Clone Wars, I think, really, is kind of the idea. Yeah, it was, like, basically season six and seven of Clone Wars, but they had, like, all these story arcs for Ahsoka. Um, And they have her, like, she meets this new guy named Nyx. I think his name was Nyx, N-I-X. And he's, he's, I think he was kind of, like, a smuggler mechanic kind of thing. I don't know. Um, But they (laughs) end up going on some adventures, and then she ends up in some kind of trouble with Maul and calls Anakin and Anakin and Obi-Wan bring the 501st to help her. And I think that's the first time they've really been together since Ahsoka left. But then Anakin and Obi-Wan get the call that the Chancellor has been kidnapped um, by and that's Dooku. When they and that's when they leave. And that's supposed to be like the start of Revenge of the Sith. And I think that was kind of where it was supposed to end. Yeah, like, it was. Jeez. I'm just like it, that when I remember uh, now I'm going off topic, but that panel is so good. And when I remember when I was watching it and I was like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. I need to. See and this. they have and I, I'll put the link in the show. notes. Yeah, they have some um, clips, actually, from they like did very rough animation of some of those parts. And then Dave has a lot of like storyboard drawings as well of some of those those arcs so it's so and and the funny thing too is that ashley didn't know about any of these storylines either aside from the one she had recorded some lines for and so you see her reacting to what dave and pablo are talking about and she's like what yeah what she's like crying yeah. <laughs> and dave's like oh, oh yeah we didn't tell you that <laughs> dave oh, oh dave <laughs> Okay, so speaking of animation, I just kind of wanted to throw this in here because I think it's kind of worth talking about or at least mentioning. In the Clone Wars micro series, which is, is quite a watch if you guys haven't watched it, um, one of the final episodes is Anakin kind of realizing his place on the specific mission that he has to do. And he goes into a cave and has this like intense vision in a cave with like cave drawings and cave paintings. It's very similar to like what happens in Rebels almost. Um, And it shows him, correct me if I'm wrong, Caitlin, it shows him or like the center of the cave drawing um, with like a mechanical arm, which is is obviously supposed to be Anakin, like basically helping the community and then terrorizing the community. Mm -hmm. And then it moves on to, you know, this, this creature with like this mechanical arm kind of transforms into a similar vision to what we see later in Mortis of, you know, Padme kind of dying and then uh, Vader, the Vader mass kind of takes over the entire cave wall. And it's pretty similar. And I think it's really cool to examine just because it's, I remember when I saw that episode of the Clone Wars and Mortis, I was like, this is so similar. They're definitely like recycling the concept from this one episode of the Clone Wars micro series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in that moment, Anakin doesn't forget what that, you know, what came from that. And this isn't canon anymore, so it's it's kind of hard to talk about in like a canon verse way. But 
it it is really interesting because if we talk about Anakin and how he was given these choices and then for, forgot them in Mortis and he could have potentially changed or something, it kind of goes back to our discussion about like how basically he was shown this future and in the Clone Wars and as we move into Revenge of the Sith, like he he still made those choices even though he saw this future for himself in the cave at that moment. Yes. <laughs> the um the the cave scene in I Charlotte like forced me to watch the micro series Clone Wars on her iPad video when we were in middle school before I was I iPod uh, not iPod, iPod. wow <laughs> iPod before I was really into Star Wars and I mean if you've never watched the Clone Wars micro series um, even as a Star Wars fan it's pretty darn weird and so as not a huge Star Wars fan at the time it was super weird. Um, so I actually don't remember if Anakin remembers the vision, but I just rewatched the clip. And um, now that we're talking, I think we're, I'm actually going to put um, a playlist of all the visions on our YouTube page. So you can go and watch them all in one place. If you care about that sort of thing, you can like watch the vision and listen along. That's kind of fun. Right. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll put that in the show. Yeah. Notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I, I, I love how this vision in particular looks so different from any of the other visions we have um, in Star Wars in the f- way that it's an art form, which I think is, is really cool. Um, we don't get that. That's kind of what my biggest takeaway is from, from that vision. I like how it looks, and I think it's a really interesting like allegory of seeing the mechanical hand get bigger and bigger and bigger um, as it, mm-hmm. it becomes all-consuming for Anakin, the you know the central figure in the the cave art. Right. It, it brings about the whole idea of what Obi Wan says in A New Hope. He says he's more machine now than man. Yeah. And if anything, this vision kind of like foretells this. Mm-hmm. So it's. It, I, I struggle a little bit with the like allegory of the hand kind of like, you know, a mechanical limb being like this terrible thing that will take your over your body, right? It's 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 a rough thing in in Star Wars to make that comparison about like prosthetic arms, right? Yeah. But I in, in this instance, it's really supposed to show how you know, this the fact that Anakin has completely lost his sense of like humanity and it's just interesting. It's a it's a good watch. I recommend it. Yeah. And like you you mentioned about how we haven't seen any visions like this um, in art form, and it does remind me a little bit of like the portal and rebels and everything, just because of the way yeah. it's like two D drawn and like in this like mm-hmm. weird cave painting way. But that hadn't happened yet, and the the one in rebels isn't even really a vision, so it's kind of a hard comparison. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's it's interesting, and uh, it'll be in the playlist, so you should definitely check it out, especially <laughs> if you've never seen anything from the micro series. It's a uh, it's it's a doozy. There's some good stuff. There's some good. And some of the episodes only like two minutes, so it's it's a good watch. It's like such a proponent of the Clone Wars micro series. I think it's so funny. Well, for the longest time, like before we had the Clone Wars, the Clone Wars micro series was like the canon lead up to Revenge of the Sith that introduced mm-hmm. General Grievous and had this like intense plot that, like we mentioned before, about like Ahsoka fitting into like right before Revenge of the Sith happens. Like that's what the Clone Wars micro series does. Mm-hmm. And the point of it was to answer the question and introduce this villain so that we weren't like, what the heck, who is General Grievous? Yeah. Um, and I mean, was it successful? I don't know, but it's still 
it's still it's a good watch. It's a good watch. It's fine. Okay, so let's move on to talk about the original original trilogy. trilogy. Okay, so welcome to part two. Um, in this section, we're going to be talking about the original trilogy as well as some of Rebels. Um, but first, I kind of wanted to jump right into um, the the. I, I kind of wanted to start here, which is kind of weird because I know it. Whatever, it's kind of odd. <laughs> we're going <laughs> out of order think- in Star Wars fashion. Yes, exactly. It's like machete order, but different. Um, So I kind of wanted to start with Luke's vision of seeing his friends die when he's upside down, kind of on a handstand on Dagobah. And um, I think that this, you know, this conversation that Luke has with Yoda is kind of something that we, at least in my discussion and thoughts about visions, like I completely forget like this one line and I'll read the transcript. Um, and then we can talk about it through the forest. Things you will see other places, the future, the past, old friends, long gone, Han, Leia, control, control. You must learn control. I saw a city in the clouds. They were in pain. It is the future. You see future. Will they die? Difficult to see always in motion is the future. I've got to go to them. Decide you must what will serve them best. If you leave now, help them you could, but you could destroy all they fought for and suffered. And I think there's something so interesting about the line of Yoda saying, through the force, things you will see, other places, the future, the past, old friends long gone. And obviously this gets into like, I've been thinking a lot about, obviously we both have, thinking about the sequel trilogy a lot. And it's clear like when when Kylo and Rey touched hands, like she saw the future, he saw the past and the force just manifests itself in these specific directions. And I almost think that this, this one line from Yoda um, really kind of, set the tone for how all of these force visions moving forward will go. You can see things of all, you know, of literally all over the galaxy in the future, in the past, like planets, friends, just anything. It makes me think about even Leia's understanding of who Padme is and who, you know, she, you can see other places, like old friends long gone. That could potentially be the images and the feelings that Leia feels about Padme. It's like her using the force that way. And, it's just, I don't know. What do you make about Luke's vision here? What do you think? I think this this conversation really echoes for me, Anakin, and Yoda's conversation from Revenge of the Sith. And again, it's kind of Luke's, or uh, Yoda's not really painting a good picture for Luke about the Jedi, you know? <laughs> like, oh, you know, will they die? Maybe. Okay. You know, like, what are you going to do? And <laughs> It's like Luke's like, but <laughs> that's not helpful. And and again, the whole thing here, um, just like Anakin wasn't being honest with Yoda about everything that was going on, as we see in their later conversation, Yoda isn't being honest with Luke about everything that he knows. Um, because when when you kind of flash forward in that scene to Luke eventually leaving. Yoda and Obi-Wan are there and they're like, don't do it. The darkness, it's bad. Um, But they're not telling Luke the whole story. Like part of why they don't want him to go is because they don't want him to confront Vader because they know that Vader is his father. And it's Mm -hmm. like if he's not ready for that. But he's not ready to kill Vader, which is what Mm -hmm. they kind of think he should be doing. And they, you know, they just can't understand you know, for them, it was attachment that did Anakin in, um, but it was also love that did Anakin in. And they, it was, it's kind of hard for them to understand that love could be what eventually 
brings him back. And I think just think it's so interesting how Anakin's downfall wasn't being honest with Yoda in Revenge of the Sith. And in this situation, Yoda isn't being honest with Luke. He's not telling Luke the whole story. And we see this pattern repeated into the sequel trilogy too with Luke not being up front with Rey. Um, we just keep seeing the same mistakes happen again. And I've been really struck going through these visions too about the fact that it's older and younger generations coming together and that they're miscommunicating with each other. Um, but Ray and Ben, it's like the first time we've had this conflict between people kind of the same age <laughs> and how they right. are kind of making this new understanding between each other. And they're able to be more honest with each other because they don't have the same expectations of each other, like um, a trainer, like a teacher and a student do. I don't know. I just, mm-hmm. um, it's frustrating the lack of communication between these people. <laughs> Everything just would be better in Star Wars if people just talk to mm-hmm. each other, like literally just sit down and talk to each other, which is why like things go kind of well in that moment for Ray and Ben when, you know, they're honest with each other over the fire and like the, what what happens after is good. And then it's like it turns not good, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's it's still like they, they were honest with each other. They talked to each other and like good things came out of that in that moment. Yeah. And it's to me, like when I hear. Obi-Wan talked to Luke about um, he, how he shouldn't go um, and save his friends, whatever. It's it's like, to me, it's like Yoda and Obi-Wan are like, They're, he's not ready. He doesn't have control over the Force. He doesn't know anything. How could he possibly like go and face Vader or like save his friends? It's not going to happen. Like, you just got to, you know, figure it out and let the Force Be okay. Happen. Be okay that um, they're gone. Yeah, exactly. And I just wonder, like, is control really the key to understanding visions and kind of getting through these visions? Mm, maybe. I, I mean, I, I have an, I have an answer. Yeah, I don't go. think, I don't really think so. <laughs> yeah. I don't really think so. I think um, in, in part, yes, but in terms of the force, I feel like the force it's it, like Ray says in the novelization, like she was the force's instrument. And it's like, I feel like it, the force gives these visions to our characters in order for them to make a choice and having control over that isn't the way, but instead just making, I don't know if I'm making any sense or instead just like making the choices yourself and kind of going down the best path and not act selfishly, impulsively um, and quickly, which I think is everything that Anakin did and that's why things ended up the way that he he would have. And even Luke, like he acts on this vision and he does um, basically give a like it, it's it's detrimental to the entire team when he goes to Cloud City. And I mean, yeah, I but the thing, it's kind of like Anakin's vision of his mother and attack the clones. It's not like Luke going there is what made Han be frozen in carbonite. Han was already frozen right. to carbonate before Luke got there. Luke, Luke, or Han and Leia are the bait, but the terrible things would have happened to them whether or not Luke gave in and and ended up going there. Um, that's what I think is interesting about that line. It's like you could destroy all they fought for and suffered. It's like what have they fought for in that moment? 
Because at this point, they're just kind yeah. of outrunning the empire, right? They're not really <laughs> they're not really doing anything noble throughout this movie. <laughs> and then everything they've suffered, they've they've suffered for Luke in this moment by being the bait for him. And so in a way, it's like by Yoda saying that it's saying that like Luke's place in this, like Luke's survival is more important than their survival. Mm-hmm. Which, and that's their that's Yoda and Obi-Wan's mistake. Yeah, which is which is selfish because Yoda and Obi-Wan want to train Luke to kill Vader to mm-hmm. restore balance to the Force um as they think Correct. it should happen. Um and it's kind of like what would have happened to Luke if he had I mean we we see it with Kylo. What would have happened to Luke if he had killed his father? Uh, uh, it would have split him to the he- bone. <laughs> Oh my wow. God! You made a good connection. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I wish we had a sound effect for that, like good connection made. Ding. <laughs> no, but it's true though. Like that—that that wasn't the way. That wasn't what he mm-hmm. needed to do in can that you, moment. Or can forever. you imagine if Luke hadn't gone to Cloud City? Let's pretend. Han and Leia figure it out. They survive. Luke doesn't go to Cloud City. He finishes his training. Obi-Wan and Yoda are like, great, go kill Vader. He kills Vader, and then he finds out that it's his father. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, that would destroy that a person. That would destroy a person. I, like, that, like, if Luke didn't follow the dark side for that moment, it was, like that would have been a game-changing moment. Wow. That's really that's a, interesting. That's, a, that's an interesting AU that I also want to see written. So somebody hit us <laughs> up, please. I don't, yeah, I mean, that's again. This this goes back to the the problem of the Jedi is that they're still kind of saying the same thing to Luke. It's like they haven't learned this lesson yet from Anakin. Of it was in part. In part, not entirely, but in part, the Jedi that made Anakin turn to the dark side. And I don't really think we see yep. them learn that lesson until Yoda is talking to Luke in The Last Jedi, you know? Right. right. Completely. Because Luke doesn't learn that lesson with Rey. <laughs> 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 what are these old teachers doing? <laughs> they just have so much to learn. We just all that's the theme really, is that we really always have things to learn, no matter our age. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about the cave. So Luke's cave whole experience in the tree, you know, uh, John Williams calls this track on the album, the magic tree in, in the annotated screenplay, they talk about it as the cave, the dark side cave tree or the tree cave. And um, I think it's really kind of fascinating now watching the last Jedi, knowing that there is a, basically a tree cave within that tree, the the forest tree. And even just how we think about trees now. How many times Yes, said tree. I don't know, like too many. <laughs> it's like Kanja Club. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but oh anyway, gosh. you know when like Shattered Empire, they have the force. <laughs> anyway, I just think that there's something about trees. trees that just kind of, it, it bears mentioning, and I'll stop saying the word tree now. <laughs> I think <laughs> I um 
it goes back to this idea of the like nature versus industry that we see in Star Wars a lot. You know, nature kind of being more natural. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, nature. <laughs> so natural. Nature, man. It doesn't get any more natural than nature. <laughs> You couldn't have a dark side cave in the Death Star. You know what I mean? It's just because there's nothing natural there. Um, so the prevalence of trees, <laughs> <laughs> I think, goes back to this idea of like connecting with the Earth, kind of what we see in Ray's vision, first vision in The Last Jedi with Luke, of seeing all these different elements of balance. They're all out in nature. There's not, you know... Like, steel and iron balance each other. Like, she's not talking about that. She's talking about, like, life and death and, and you know, mm-hmm. baby porgs and the ocean, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I think that's part of it, too. The, the tree the tree is interesting, the, the cave tree. Um, but back to, like, what does the tree – what does the, his cave experience mean? Yeah, I lost it. I don't know. I was overcome with the number of times we said tree and natural. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing, the thing is, for me, I've always struggled with this one the most. Um, of all of them, even more so than like the force back, even more so than the like Ray's cave ex- experience as well. And I, I feel like this one, if if the cave, let me just like talk through this here. If the cave is supposed to represent <laughs> You know, he goes in there and he, he has to fight his greatest fear. Is his greatest fear becoming Vader? I guess like that's the simplicity of it, right? Is that when he cu- cuts off his head, he sees that it's himself. But I think there's something more there as well in terms of like he cuts off his head and then the you know the the head explodes and it reveals that it's Luke, which in turn reveals that there's like some humanity within Vader and. That is that Luke's greatest fear, or is that just something that he has to confront? And that's where it gets really interesting to me, and where it plays into Return of the Jedi, because you know there is something about the fact that Luke has to confront Vader's humanity, and in order to do that, that's how he is able to kind of save his father. And mm-hmm. um, so, in that respect, is this cave so scary? And it's just, it's just kind of like I, I really every time I watch it, I'm like, eh, do I understand this correctly? I just don't know. <laughs> well, I think it's also a moment of foreshadowing. Of Luke has a connection, a really strong connection to Vader, in that it's his family, too. Right, um, and that could potentially that dark side could potentially be Luke's future, and in a way, it kind of is when we flash forward to the events of the sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think one of the things that makes this particular vision, because I think you're right, this is one of the hardest visions, is because it's so toned down from everything that we get in the sequel trilogy. Because, you know, the, the visions that Anakin has in the prequel trilogy, they're obviously, they're like dream visions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you see crying Padme and that's about all you see, right? And Obi-Wan. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Which again, like, I I didn't really, we didn't really get into, like, the physicality of the dream. I think that if the dreams really do represent his greatest fear, this kind of goes back to, like, you know, Obi-Wan is there when Padme, in Anakin's second dream that we see, Obi-Wan is the one that's, like, telling Padme to hold on. And that is Anakin's 
huge fear as well is the fact that somehow Obi-Wan is involved. And I think it's really interesting. And I know you're like snickering because you realize yeah. like, <laughs> I haven't, I didn't, it took me so long to like understand like Obi-Wan in the picture, but I do think that it's really, it's just so interesting that like that's, it, it, these are his greatest mm-hmm. fears manifested. It's not, he doesn't, Anakin doesn't see himself. He sees Obi-Wan. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you could hear my snickering silently across the mic and <laughs> down here in Georgia. Cause it was there. It I was know there. it was. I know. It was. <laughs> uh, but the, the thing with this, with this vision with Luke is that it, it it's so toned down. It's just Vader there. Um, there's nothing else to look at. There's nothing else to distract you, um, both when you're watching it and in your your train of thought when you're thinking about it later. There's just Vader and Luke, and then there's just Luke and Luke. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there, there's not a lot of other external elements going on. Whereas with you know the Force back in the Mirror Cave, really the Force back kind of predominantly there's a lot going on and you just want to draw all these connections to all these other things. It's like, you'll, I assume we'll fall into this trap when we're talking about it in the next part, but it's like, okay, let's talk about this. Oh, oh, but that connects to this. Oh, but this connects. It's hard to rest your eyes and really think about what this is meaning for Ray. Mm -hmm. Whereas that's all you can focus on in the, the Dagobah cave scene. Right. Um, I was wondering if you could read, a little bit about like the development of this scene because it is actually yeah. like kind of so crucial in the original trilogy like as a whole mm-hmm. um and as reading the annotated screenplay like i pulled these quotes about how um this you know development of this cave scene it's clear that like lee brackett and george lucas had all these like extensive discussions about how this was so important and how it's evolved over time is really fascinating so mm-hmm. be my guest caitlin <laughs> okay In the first draft, Luke takes the oath of the Jedi from his father. Later, Yoda tells Luke that facing Vader and the dark side is the real test for him. Luke concentrates, and suddenly two shapes rise from the swamp. One looks like Vader, and the other one is smaller, featureless, but reminiscent of Luke. In ghostly voices, they talk to each other. Luke said, or Vader says he wants Luke as an ally. The two shapes now seem to stand in space. Vader tells Luke that he knows that he loves Leia and that Han is standing between them. If he joins him, no one will ever be in his way, and one day they will rule the universe. Vader tells Luke to reach out for the stars. Luke tries, but the stars burn his fingers, and he says that he's taken an oath. Luke comes out of the trance and sobs, saying that he couldn't fight Vader. This would be straight-up trippy if you saw this in 1980. <laughs> I know. It's it's so crazy. The thing is, is that I when I was reading that, I was like, oh, my God, two shapes rising. It's mm-hmm. like, it's Mirror just cave. like, yes, it's just like yeah. Ray's vision. And I, uh, it's so crazy how, you know, things, you know, it, Luke reaches for Vader, but, like, he can't physically do that. The stars burn his fingers. It's like, yeah. it's not what he should be doing, but he mm-hmm. kind of, he, in a way, in this vision, he wants it. But as he mm-hmm. gets out of the trance, he cries. Really cool. Re- really great, great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it is interesting, too. And, and you, this, I think, has such parallels. It, I think what I would have loved about this vision, if it had made it into the final cut, is that Vader tells Luke that he knows that he loves Leia and that Han is standing between them, taking out the incest part of this. But this is how Vader fell into the Vader trap. Mm-hmm. Palpatine basically set up the same situation for Pal- for Anakin in Revenge of the Sith and started planting these seeds of suspicion of Padme and Obi-Wan. 
Um, so I think I would have really liked that dynamic of it. That would have been some really cool parallels. Um, but, you know, incest, bad. <laughs> <laughs> Very bad. Very bad. Very bad. <laughs> uh, so ultimately, good call. <laughs> All right. And the next quote starts, in the second draft, Yoda says the tree is strong with the dark side of the force and tells Luke he must face it. Luke feels he's not ready, but eventually goes inside the cave. At one point, he sees a shape and instinctively swings his weapon, only to realize there's nothing. He comes out shaking and scared. And then the third draft of the film is pretty close to what they have written out in the second draft. So I think the second draft is also interesting just because it's like, does Luke even have anything to fear? And I think that's the question that they're kind of posing, right? Is that he he instinctively you know, swipes his lightsaber and tries to kill his opponent, but does he even have an opponent? And like, what's the point of having an opponent or something like that? Um, it's just kind of like, you're kind of hard to wrap your brain around. <laughs> no, it totally is. I think this connects really well with what Yoda tells Luke before he goes into the cave of, you know, you don't need your lightsaber. And then Anakin or Luke is like, what do I do? Or what do I take? And it's like, you will have only, only what you, what take, you with take with you. With you. Yeah. yeah. And and Luke's like, you know, on second guess, I'm going to take the lightsaber. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like he didn't – that's not the Jedi way. Yeah. You know, to and that's – like immediately strike someone mm-hmm. down. Yeah. And, and the bigger picture, Yoda understands that and how that was the mistake of the Jedi in the prequels. Yoda and subsequently the Jedi kind of as a whole when it comes to that micro level of the Skywalker family and this idea of attachment. It's like at this point in the saga, they haven't really picked up on what went wrong there. Um, But I think Yoda does really understand at this point what went wrong in terms of the Clone Wars and in the Jedi kind of heading that chart, leading that charge. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, I just really like hearing all these different drafts and everything. I wish that there was more, like, I wish there was a little bit more of a description of, like, what Luke actually saw in those, like, particular visions of um, Leia and Han. But mm-hmm. it's it's really cool to have, it's, it's clear that these were the center of this movie. And, like, Luke, in order for Luke to understand his place in the world, he had to go through this, like, exploration of the Force and, like, what was the Force trying to tell him and all these different things that, you know, George Lucas and Lee Brackett and Irvin Kirshner, what they all thought were interesting and, like, good ways to test Luke. And eventually what we got is a great, I think, testament to, like, this, like, weird, trippy version of the Force, you know? (laughs) Well, I think it's pretty cool that we see these really major visions happening in these middle chapters. Um, Anakin's vision of his mother and Attack of the Clones really is the stepping stone for his actions in Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. And the same is true for Luke in Empire Strikes Back. Um, because he made the decision to leave, it's how he finds out about his father. And that ultimately like stirs his heart to have compassion for Vader. And similarly, in The Last Jedi, these visions really are the centerpiece of the film. And it's, it's not just what Kylo and Rey are learning about each other, about their, themselves, really what Rey is accepting about herself. It's what they're learning about each other, which is something completely new um, from the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. So it's, right. it's going to be interesting comparing and kind of watching how the events of The Last Jedi, particularly with these visions, serve as a stepping stone for Rey and Kylo, you know, separately or together in episode nine. For sure, for sure. And I just like to close off our discussion about the cave scene, this quote from Urban Kirshner, 
always, you know, has the great, great quotes, um, is quite interesting. He says, I don't like explanation of anything. The beauty of film is that you see it and you hear it and the audience goes along with you. The confrontation between Luke and Vader in the cave is very simple. For instance, Luke goes down into a no, into a hole that becomes a cave, and it's totally real. If it wasn't totally real, it would have no, have no power, no tension. So that what was happening in that first draft that maybe wouldn't have you know resonated with audiences as much as you mm-hmm. know this like really kind of scary moment of Luke confronting the greatest evil in the galaxy, or so he thinks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in this like very natural way, and mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I, well, it's definitely something that I keep thinking about, and I, that's like honestly one of the beauties of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, well, it's like with that, you know. I feel like seeing that for the first time, there could have been the real possibility that Vader was actually there, playing in your head. Totally. And you're like, wait, what? Just, did he just he just killed him? Wait, what? <laughs> You see that head explode. (laughs) Wait a second. (laughs) Well, there's a scene in The Force Awakens where I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, is Kylo Ren even here? And it's in the forest on Takadana. And he approaches Rey with his lightsaber and Rey starts firing the gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's very fairy tale esque where all of a sudden he just kind of like appears around like the corner. And again, it was, it's so reminiscent of the scene of like how Vader comes yeah. around this corner in this like, you know, slimy mud hole. Mm-hmm. And it's like a very natural setting, just like here. And instead of being fake, it's real. And that's also something to explore, I guess, in terms mm-hmm. of parallels, right? Yeah, I think I definitely remember having this conversation after The Force Awakens came out and think both of us thinking the first time we saw it, there was a possibility that it could be her having a vision. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. <laughs> All right. And so we're just going to close out this section with a pretty – a really brief discussion, really an acknowledgement that Ezra and Maul have a lot of shared visions <laughs> throughout Rebels, um, a number of instances where they are connecting and – seeing things that are kind of similar but not yeah i think that like with with maul and ezra we've we've talked about this before because it's pretty similar to like the shared vision situation of um ray and kylo but it tests ezra so much in terms of like what side he can choose because he's really forced to kind of put his head together with the dark side and kind of feel that energy and make this personal choice of does this feel good? Do I, how do I move beyond this? Mm -hmm. You know? Well, it's, it's crazy because Ezra, Ezra toy, like has such a relationship with Maul. Mm -hmm. We've never really seen that close kind of relationship with the dark side, with the dark sider that (laughs) really except for Ray at this point where Ezra is able to step away from that. Um, Yeah. And it's because he has people, he has his family like mm-hmm. Kanan and Hera and Sabine and Chopper and Zeb um, to remind him that that's not who he is and that he's stronger than the dark side. He definitely falls into the temptations, but the nice thing is the more he's with Maul and how their storylines intersect more throughout the seasons, he learns more and he becomes definitely. stronger in, in who he is. Definitely. 
Finally, just before we move on to the sequel trilogy, another acknowledgement is Ezra does have a vision um, of Kanan and the Inquisitor um, fighting in which the Inquisitor kills Kanan in front of Ezra. And a while back on Twitter, I was kind of thinking through these visions and I was always trying to think about like, is there an instance where these visions that, you know, these characters get have, um, I don't, I don't think I'd really count the cave situation for Luke or even for Ray, but in terms of, you know, like premonitions, I was like, did I feel like they always come true. And this was the one that stands out in terms of this doesn't come true. However, now knowing Kanan's ending, Kanan does die at the hand of the Empire, which is kind of like it goes back to the whole always in motion is the future. And it's like if that was the end game of this vision, I guess that's came true in in a sense, right? Um, it's just kind of an interesting way to think about these premonitions because so far they've all come true except kind of this one, which hasn't really followed the same path as, um, the visions, which maybe like is what Ray is going to find out at the, at the end of the sequel trilogy is the vision that she saw of Kylo, um, not standing with Snoke or not bowing before Snoke, like has it will come true but not in the way that she first saw it but instead it's it's just a different outcome yeah what i always thought what i've been thinking about with this vision with kanan and the inquisitor for ezra is is it the same kind of vision that like anakin has a padme because this is when he's in the jedi temple and he eventually gets his kyber crystal so i guess i kind of at first interpreted it the more i've thought about it i've kind of interpreted it as the force giving him this trial to see Mm -hmm. if he's worthy of the kyber crystal. Um, Just like we see the force giving these trials to the younglings in the Clone Wars arc um, when they're on um, the planet. Ilum. Ilum, Ilum. yes. Ilum, Ilum. Um, So that's kind of, that's, I think that's kind of where I've taken this moment. I don't really class it. I don't think I classify it as vision so much anymore and perhaps more of, the force itself giving a trial to Kane or to Ezra. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. Um, I do think it's important to like include it in this though, and mm-hmm. kind of like think about it that way, because it's interesting because that this is the exception to the rule of these visions. That, yeah. And- that's why I hesitate to really classify it as vision. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it, it is interesting how it's the only one that doesn't come true. Why it would be that? fun to talk to Dave, Col- Dave Filoni about this. Yeah, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it really would. <laughs> would it? <laughs> okay, but let's let's move on to sequel trilogy. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. All right, welcome to part three, where we're going to be talking about the sequel trilogy, and really we're going to be talking about Rey's force-back vision in The Force Awakens, and then the mirror cave scene in The Last Jedi, as well as Rey and Kylo talking about the visions they had when they touched hands. So kind of watching The Force Awakens force-back, now that we have The Last Jedi, what's changed for you? How do you feel about that, that vision now that we have part two? I mean, I guess I felt this way in 
The Force Awakens, but it's more solidified now that like the lightsaber, when she touches the lightsaber, it is trying to tell her that, yes, she has a place in the story and this is her place. And this is, you know, all the different she's weaving in and out of all these different timelines. But essentially, she is part of this timeline now. And to me, that's what the vision is saying, like on a surface level. Of course, it's really interesting because now we only have one piece that we don't have the answer to, which is the night, the night, the nights of Ren um, in the rain at the end, um, where Kylo Ren sees her and kind of like charges forward. Um, I and I, I hope that I think they will answer that in um, in Episode Nine. But to me, now I understand on a much like greater level, especially now that we know like Ray. Ray screaming for her parents to come back. Like we understand that she was kind of just dropped off by her and sold by her terrible parents. And <laughs> um it's so sad. By her and terrible parents. parents. And it's it's just clear to me that yes, she is a part of this timeline, and that's what this vision is telling the audience. And it's also if these visions are to kind of present them with their greatest fears and also their wants maybe like in in this situation it's like ray is presented with like this idea that she is part of something bigger but she's unable to accept it right away and that is like her fear is this like immense pressure that she could potentially have on her shoulders Mm -hmm. yeah this I won't pretend to know what this vision is about. Um, I just know that when I watch it, I pick up on different things every time. Um, different things stick out to me. And when I was rewatching it, thinking about the discussion we we're going to have tonight, I found it interesting how the the voices we hear are all from teachers. Um, it's Yoda mm-hmm. and Obi-Wan. Uh, and obviously, this idea of Ray needing a teacher is something that is prevalent in both of these films. Kylo says it to her at the end of The Force Awakens, and then Luke says it to her in The Last Jedi. You know, she needs a teacher. And those are the voices she hears in the vision are from these, you know, mythic teachers of the past. Uh, I don't know what that means, but I thought it was interesting. <laughs> um <laughs> And kind of thinking about it in regards to The Last Jedi and the connection that Rey and Kylo eventually have in that film, um, I I don't know if this was intentional on Ryan Johnson's part at all or if they're just happy coinkydings. But, you know, Kylo in the Knights of Ren section of the vision, he walks towards her. He sees her just like he does in the Skype sessions. I remember that was something we always talked about in The Force Awakens was the fact that Kylo is the only one that seems like he sees Ray in this vision and is right. like walking towards her specifically. None of the other characters really seem to do that. And that's what we see happen in their force visions. And in their force connections in The Last Jedi, it's always Kylo approaching Ray. Um, we don't really see her walking closer to him. He's walking closer to her, which I think speaks in part to the pool to the light that is Ray. Um, for mm-hmm. Kylo, she's kind of a manifestation of that in a way. Um, also, the transition of Kylo walking towards her with the Knights of Ren to her parents leaving is a cool transition because it's ultimately Kylo who kind of makes her confront that truth of her mm-hmm. parents leaving. Uh, and I kind of thought, I don't really think this is true, but I thought it was an interesting question of, you know, we talked about before The Last Jedi came out if Kylo and Ray were having a shared vision during the force back vision and we were just seeing Ray's side of it. 
And so if there if if there's any truth to that, and I don't know if I think there is, but I wonder if there's a possibility of Kylo could have seen what Ray saw in her abandonment as a child, and that's kind of also part of the spark of how he knows what happens to her parents in The Last Jedi. That's what I think. That's like my hard theory is that when they touched hands and he saw her past, like that's what he saw and like that specific point in time. Yeah. Um, I wonder if he saw it though in the timeline of the force awakens. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think so. I I don't think so. I I think it's, it's interesting theory to mm -hmm. think about. Yeah. Of course they could walk back on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I still feel like, they have a potential to bring this vision back around with Kylo in nine and -hmm. kind of answer that question about like how and why he like comes towards her and recognizes her in that moment. I mean, Mm -hmm. I feel like they did sort of answer that and the idea that their minds are bridged. Yeah, Um, but it's one of those questions that has never really been fully answered. Never been. Hasn't been answered yet. Um, I say that like these films have been out for decades. <laughs> the way that Kylo talks about Rey in The Force Awakens, you know, it's like that girl, what girl? There's this level of recognition or familiarity, at least that we kind of infer and a lot of people infer. So I wonder if there's something more that there that just hasn't been explored yet. But right. um, yeah, I mean, in The Force Back, it's, you know, this moment with her parents is bookended by Kylo. Um, with the mm-hmm. Knights of Ren, and then it segues up to that red light that we really associate with Kylo and his lightsaber, and then it they end up in the forest where they're dueling, which is obviously of the future. Yeah, with with the mask on too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Which, if if anything, like obviously this vision is the past, potentially the present, and the future, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it g- kind of goes back to Yoda's whole like always in motion is the future. It yeah. is in motion because this point like we don't see kylo with in in actuality what happens is he removes his mask like things develop differently mm-hmm. um so it's just like what does that even mean <laughs> yeah and still too it's ray we're seeing it from ray's point of view and she hasn't seen kylo without the mask yet exactly but, so and has in, she, in her i think i'm forgetting what? has she seen kylo at all at this point in the film no no. No. So she doesn't unless there's It's like, really just like a shadowy scary figure. Yeah. I mean it's it's obviously him though. You know, so unless there I wonder if she recognizes who that is. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'd have to go back and I'm sure some of our listeners are like yelling at me <laughs> right now being <laughs> Both like of us. <laughs> he recognizes her like duh but i or she recognizes him duh but like i haven't seen that i don't remember that point in the novelization or anything i just remember (laughs) kylo being like it is you when she gets the lightsaber which i think is just a recognition of like the the light rises and or like the when the dark rises light to meet it and i feel like that is like his recognition of that. I'm just thinking I'm like having this whole new perspective of that whole transition on to- uh, uh, confrontation on Tokadana because if it's kind of pretending, assuming that Ray doesn't like, she doesn't know who Kylo Ren is. Even if she's heard the name in the galaxy, she hasn't seen a picture of him. Um, mm-hmm. She has this scary AF vision and then mm-hmm. she runs out of the temple and this guy, like this, the guy she saw in her vision shows up. <laughs> <laughs> I would have peed my pants. 
Well, I mean, she basically did. Yeah. She's like, I don't want any part in this. Yeah. Like, this isn't a – Yeah, she leaves Maz's <laughs> castle, but then she runs right into him. I mean, that is – that's scary. That's scary. Yeah, this masks figure yeah. who, like, takes her. Yeah, it's like and created it in her mind almost. Yeah. So, like, no wonder she wants no part in this. And it takes – it's like a reluctance for her to understand her place in it, even though that's what the Force is trying to tell her, mm-hmm. is that she does have a place in it. Yeah. And – I mean, it's obviously like, yes, she feels like she has a place finally by the end of the film when she grabs that saber and everything. But it's it has taken her a long time to realize that, yes, she's nobody, but that doesn't matter, you know? Yeah, but even at that point, she hasn't accepted that yet. No, no, not at all. That's, That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but she's on the right path towards that. And Last Jedi makes her struggle against that, but she ultimately accepts it in the end. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay, so let's talk about the cave experience. Ooh. So the whole thing, when we were reading that um, passage from the annotated screenplays about, like, in Irvin Kirshner says, like, he goes down into a cave or, like, into the – what is the line? Let me scroll up and see. He says – it's the cave is very simple. For instance, Luke goes down into a hole that becomes a cave. Like, that's exactly what Ray did. But what's so fascinating is that Ray, like, wanted to confront this part of her. And um, when she goes in there, it reminds me of Yoda's line of only what you take with you in, is what's in there. And when Ray willingly goes in there and the dark side doesn't lie to her. She doesn't see who her parents are because she's unwilling to accept. She sees that she's part of a grand story. She wants to see that she's part of a grand story with the Skywalkers in in this cave, which uh, it's funny because I, as we just said, the for- the lightsaber basically does present her with this fact, um, but instead the Force just shows her herself. It doesn't show her these like illustrious like royal parents that she wants to see. She just sees herself, which. You know, in the past couple of days, I've kind of realized that like she also kind of sees Kylo right before it transforms through her face, but that's kind of like a crack theory, honestly. But <laughs> I'm, I'm um, into it. I'm into it. I am. I am too. I am too. Yeah, especially knowing what comes in the next scene of her seeing her future, of seeing a future that somehow involves Kylo. Right. So what what do you make of this? I hate – I knew we were going to – this is, like, what I was not looking forward to was talking about the cave scene, <laughs> Mir- <laughs> the, the mirror cave, because they just – I remember watching it being, like, WTF is going on here. Um, I mean, yeah, I think it's the, it's the wind being knocked out of her. Uh, it's, a, it's a shock to the system going into this cave. I think what I've been thinking a lot about in terms of this is, is number one, why she goes into the cave – in the first place, um, which I think you have to go back and look at her conversation with Kylo just beforehand is when he reveals the, you know, his perception of what happened with Luke when he tore down the temple. And then also him telling her, you know, your parents, they, they were nothing. And she says, you're lying. Um, or they, what does he say? He says, um, your parents, they threw you away with garbage. And she says in this really defiant, defiant, but weak voice, you know, of like they didn't. And he says, yes, they did. And so I almost feel like her going into this cave is like her one, her last ditch effort to prove that Kylo is wrong about her parents. And if he's wrong about her parents, then he's wrong about Luke too. But Mm -hmm. what she's confronted with is the truth that he's right about her parents, 
which she already knows, but just doesn't, it's like locked away inside her. Um, and he's right about Luke um, with what happens. Right. And what I think is, is also interesting about this is that she, and, and the reason she goes to the cave is because with her first lesson with Luke, she, she's, it's not like she's tempted by the cave. It calls out to her and she knows that it has something to tell her. And mm-hmm. she doesn't run from it like Luke thinks she should run f- from it. It's weird because she really initiates this journey into the cave, whereas with Luke, it was like a trial for him, kind of what we see with Ezra. Um, and these other things, these other visions like to Ahsoka and Anakin in Clone Wars, and then what we see in r- the prequel trilogy, they just kind of happen to our characters and they're not asking for it. But Ray specifically goes asking for this vision, for this experience. It's not, it doesn't go how she thinks it's going to go, but she seeks it out, which I think, I don't know, I think is really interesting and speaks a lot to the fact that Ray isn't trained. And so she doesn't have these same kinds of fears and temptations about these darker parts of the force and i.e. darker parts of herself the way that yes. our other like illustrious Skywalker family does. <laughs> um, I'm reminded of like I know at the top of the show I mentioned and you mentioned that like when we got out of the, sh- the, the theater that first time and I was like, oh, I get the cave scene. Let me, let me explain it. <laughs> yeah. And I do think there's some some merit to that because what I discussed then was Ray understands that th- the dark side of the forest, like turning to the dark side is like a domino effect and that like something leads to something, anger leads to hate, you know, et cetera. Oh my God, I got to <laughs> stop saying et cetera. <laughs> you should just switch right. to saying so on and so forth. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say that. And so on and so forth. but. In this point, when you see, like, thousands of rays, Ray is able, and she knows that it's leading somewhere. That's what she says overhead. She said, I, I know if I just, I can't remember the exact quote, but she says something about, like, if I know if I followed it to the end, it would take me to what I'm leading to see or what I want to see. And it's almost like she is getting ahead of this this destiny of the dark side. And she's she's surpassing this, like, this leads to this, leads, this leads to this. And she just goes, she blows right past it. In the same way that kind of Luke is like, whoa, you just went straight to the dark. And it's like, because she has nothing to fear. She she just went, she like hopped that line and followed it all the way to the end of the conclusion. And that's the, the domino effect that I feel like is so interesting about this cave scene is that she is able to kind of surpass all of this dark side kind of, terror and kind of just get her to what she needed to see yeah exactly i think it it goes back a lot to talking about how our past understanding of the force has really been you're either dark side or you're light side and there is no in between you are one or the other if you're a force user you know and if you're a light side force user there's always going to be that temptation of the dark side that you're always having to actively fight and that's why it was so interesting having the introduction of kylo as a character because he's tempted by the light side, which you're like, you remember hearing that for the first time and being like, Oh my God, he's tempted by the light side. That's crazy. Um, yeah. You know, it was such like a foreign concept to us. And I think Luke had kind of fallen into that trap too with Ray in the beginning of the last Jedi, you know, when he, when he calls her out for going to the dark side, because I think to him, it's like, if you dip a toe in the dark side, you automatically fall in. 
And that's not true because in actuality, we all already have a toe in the dark side. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. we all have darker parts of ourselves. And for Ray, she can go between them um, because she, I don't know, it's like she has more of a sense of self. Like you said earlier, she doesn't know, she has this innocence. She doesn't know to fear the dark side. Um, Because it does have something to show her. And even though it's devastating and heartbreaking, it's the truth she needed to hear. And now that she knows it, she can move past it. Definitely. If we think, again, just to kind of go back to the overall theme about these cave situations, these premonitions or anything showing us our greatest fear or helping us as a character to move forward on the hero's journey, it's like – this was Ray's confronting her greatest fear and the force also letting her move on in a way that she had to. Mm-hmm. It, the, and this cave isn't even – it's dark side, but it's not dark side like we've seen before. It's No, it's not even, it's not even Vader approaching yeah, with a lightsaber to kill her. It's like a tame dark side. <laughs> I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. not – not vicious towards her, um, which I guess is kind of part of the point because Ray knows, like Ray can handle herself in that kind of situation. Um, right. And even though she's been alone her whole life, that's still her greatest fear. Wow! Oh my god, I'm so sad. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I get so overcome with emotion when I think about that. I know. Oh me my too. God. Me too. <laughs> like even though okay, it's so- been her reality, it's still. I know. I know. It's so sad. So sad. To kind of round out the discussion, though, let's talk about the two visions that that we don't see that are kind of off screen that Ray and Kylo have of each other when they touch hands. So Ray, when she is in the elevator professing things to <laughs> Kylo, um, she says, when we touched hands, I saw your future. Just the shape of it, but solid and clear. You will not bow before Snoke. You'll turn. I'll help you. And Kylo says, I saw something too. And because of what I saw, when the moment comes, I know you'll be the one to turn. Ray, I saw who your parents are. What do we think about these? Mm, there's a lot going on in one hand touch, that's for sure. <laughs> one super important hand super touch. Super duper important hand touch. <laughs> I, think, I think what we've kind of been saying this whole episode is that these visions are going to come to pass in one way or another. And it's not going to be how either of them anticipated. Because the, the you know, in Ray's part, she says, you will not bow before Snoke. Kylo does bow before. He literally bows before Snoke. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, he, and he doesn't turn. Um, no. But he does something even bigger in that moment. I don't think Ray anticipated at all that Kylo would kill Snoke. I don't think she ever saw something like that being in the cards for what was going to happen in this moment. I don't really think she'd even thought that far. You know, it was kind of like, get Kylo, make him bed, let's get out of here. I kind of think that was like, <laughs> she's, she's, she's a big picture thinker. She's not a detail thinker. <laughs> well, I think it's like kind of a little selfish, right? She's like, this is how we're going to win. We're going to get Kylo back to Ben. And we're going to get out of here and he's going to save everything. <laughs> it's like in the bed. It didn't really like I, I, selfish is a tough word. I realize that. So sorry. But I, I think that she doesn't even consider like the implications of what that means for Ben Solo as a person. Yeah. There's things and and kind of hurdles that he has to personally overcome in order for that sort of 
end point to happen. Mm-hmm. It's not as easy as, and that's what it, it is revealed in the novelization that like her mistake, I think the quote is her mistake is thinking that his turn would be easy. Yeah. And it, it, it's not like that. And Ray doesn't even consider that because she's like, why would you be on the dark side? Like that's, let's just join me. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a nice parallel with her conversation with Luke. You know, there's so many great parallels. I mean, from Luke talking about how it was a, a Jedi who uh, created Darth Vader to then when Rey says, did you create Kylo Ren? And then also her mm-hmm. saying your choice to Luke, she says your choice was in your mistake was in thinking his choice was made. It wasn't. And she does the same thing with Kylo at the end. Um, her her mistake was in thinking the choice was easy. And even though she understands now what happened to Ben Solo to create Kylo Ren, the betrayal he felt from Luke, however real or imagined it was, um, she still doesn't understand how like how deep that cut is in him. I, the part that always kind of confuses me, I feel like Ray's line is kind of easier to understand, but Kylo's when he says. Because of what I saw, when the moment comes, I know you'll stay. You'll be the one to turn, Ray. I saw who your parents are. These are like so. These are like different conversations to me. <laughs> First, we're talking about the moment with Snoke, and then suddenly we're talking about the parents. I just think it's like a real. It's really abrupt. I don't. I've never really kind of. I, I want to hear your take on it. Oh, my take is. I think it's pretty clear to me. I think oh, okay. that the force <laughs> showed. <laughs> the force <laughs> showed. <laughs> Me. I'm Kylo. really confused about this, Charlotte. I got it. It's fine. <laughs> it's super clear. Why don't you get I this? <laughs> I think it's just really interesting is that like Kylo's like really, really, really trying to run away from the past and the force shows him the past. Ray's past for sure. But in this moment, it it is offering Kylo this chance to like make this huge mistake really and kind of understand that like Ray's lineage and like her place in like a story or whatever isn't the most like important thing to her it's it's kylo's most important thing to himself which is why he thinks that ray is going to join him in that moment at the end he's like you're nothing but i think it, you'll just join it me. is important to ray until she realized that it's not it's not important i think that's that's the point is that like it's it's so important to ben it's like so important for like it, his his entire past and who he is as Ben Solo as Darth Vader's grandson it has defined him forever and he's been running away from that never really able to be his own person right mm-hmm. and instead of Ray Ray wishes that she was part of this grand story and when a, the person who she you know genuinely has this shared connection with tells her that she is nothing it's not it's just it's just not good. No. <laughs> it's just like it's it's the opposite of what she should be hearing at this point. Instead of like saying Ben should have said, "Listen, I know where you come from, but like we could do things fantastic if we were together. I understand your path, past and everything and what you had to deal with, that was heartbreaking. And but we can move past that." Instead of instead he says like you're nothing but not to me. And it's like, it just doesn't really work that much because that's Ben is really just thinking about himself in this point of like what, how he would react. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I understand it from what we see at the end uh, with the, the proposal scene, but in the elevator where all of that hasn't (laughs) transpired yet, I guess I've always, I don't know. I've always wondered why he brings it up. 
um, because it doesn't really seem relevant to like what they're currently doing. <laughs> but I, I guess kind of aside from that, what I, I love how Ray, not love, but I, I love Ray, how she steps back from him after he says that, because this is the, this is the only time in this elevator scene is, is really when Ray approaches Kylo outside of like their duel. Um, every other time Kylo has been walking towards Ray, but in this moment she's walking towards him and it's like, we know that Ray knows who she is. Right. We know that Mm -hmm. she knows that her parents are nobodies. But as long as she keeps that locked away inside herself, there's always the possibility that there's somebody. Um, Mm -hmm. And the second she has to say that out loud, it becomes true. And it's like they – I always think it's like it's so trippy how they see what the other person fears most – like Kylo, mm-hmm. his vision is not of himself. It's of Ray's greatest fear of her parents being filthy drunk traders who sold her for drinking money. And for, <laughs> and for Ray, she doesn't see what she fears most because she already knows what she fears most. That's the thing. They both know what they fear most. But Ray sees Kylo without Snoke. Um, and it's not that Kylo fears that because he loves Snoke. It's like, who is he without that mantle of Kylo Ren, who is he when he's not under Snoke's thumb? And that's almost scarier than being on the dark side is having to confront yourself as Ben Solo again and figure out what that means and learn how to ask for forgiveness and accept forgiveness if it's given to you. Exactly. And it's like they under they understand those truths in each other and for themselves. But like with Ray and her parents, it's like you can't – it, it's it means more when it comes from someone who cares about you. They're both given these hard truths of like how do they understand themselves as individuals without like this tether of the past, really? Yeah. Ugh. Yes, I think. <laughs> well, it's hard. I feel like we're going to be talking about this for two yeah. years. Yeah. So no, there's yeah. that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Again, it's going to be so fun when we have nine and we can like look at this as a composite mm-hmm. because clear, obviously, clearly, visions are important and they reveal something huge about the character journey. And it's like, what will these two characters make of this vision eventually? Um, I think that, I mean, as we said, like all visions, except for like that weird one with Ezra, <laughs> come true in some form. So it'll be great. And I think that's another reason why we didn't see like the physicality of Ray's vision of Ben turning is because like that is going to like maybe at the end when like Ben turns, like there's going to be a line where it's like, I first saw this, like this is what I saw or something like mm-hmm. that. And and then we'll have that like understanding that like yes this is what she saw finally coming to life or something right and it's like we didn't see that just like un- unlike what we saw in the force back we saw all these different events and time and everything it's like we didn't see this because we it, will it probably hadn't see been it written in yet <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly Colin Trevorrow was still in charge. <laughs> God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, visions. Complicated man. Complicated but necessary. Is is there anything else that you want to say about Ray and Kyla's visions or even any of the others? No, I mean, I think that's it. I just um, 
Visions are really fascinating. And if you guys have any thoughts about the specific ones we mentioned or others that you brought up and like what they mean for the personal character, um, let us know. Email us at skytalkerspodcast at gmail.com or send us a DM or a tweet. Um, We love it. Yeah, please do. And uh, like I said, we're going to put these in a playlist and you can check them out on our YouTube channel if you want to watch them all together and kind of see chronologically and canonically how they flow Yes, definitely. I'm excited to watch that, actually. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm, it like, came to me in the middle of the episode. I was like, we should do this. <laughs> it's going to so, be in the in the show notes. So you yep, can find those on our website at Skytalkers, skytalkers.com and also below. Yeah. And if you like what you hear and want to review us on iTunes, just search for Skytalkers Podcast. It really does help our show out, gets the word out about our show when people, as we've learned from this star from the survey, a lot of you actually found our show by just searching Star Wars Podcast on iTunes. And we popped up because of the reviews other people had left. So um, thank you. It really does help our show. It helps other people find out about our show when you leave a review. So thank you for those of you who had. And thanks for giving us a listen to the people who found our show through Google and iTunes searching. (laughs) (laughs) And if you want to follow us on Twitter, as Charlotte said, the show's Twitter is at SkytalkersPod. And our personal Twitters are at Caitlin Plusher and at Crarity. Awesome. And I do want to say a quick thank you to our amazing patrons. Joanna, Lynn, Neil, Katie, Rachel, James, Brad, Brian, Diana, Susanna, Megan, Amy, Kelly, Courtney, Jim, Suara, Amy, BJ, Angela, Ali, Natalia, Daz, Lauren, Serene, Shireen, Sari, Kyle, Aaron, Syntax, Era, Stuart, Derek, Connie, Robbie, Kirsty, Chuck, and Brandon. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. It really, really helps us out. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And like we said, hope you enjoyed our solo trailer reaction. And we will see you in a couple weeks with a brand new episode. May the force be with you. May the force be with you.